Welcome to YEGMS. I'm back. Well, for this episode, anyway. Rick's been holding down the fort for the last several, but I had a wonderful opportunity today to talk to Dr. Gretchen Hawley, who some of you may remember from episode number 44. Uh, Dr. Hawley is a specializes in physical therapy, and she's based in the eastern U.S. The last time I talked to her, she was living in Boston, and as I find out in this interview, she's uh, returned to her hometown of Buffalo, New York. And we had a chance to talk about what she's been up to, her website, some of her programs, some of the physical therapy that she recommends. It's a it's wonderful interview. It's good. It's really great information. If any of you out there, and I hope that there are those of you out there that are, are trying to get more active, as I, you know, as, as if, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know, I think it's it's really important for all of us who who live with MS to, to be active and trying to be as healthy as we can be. So, great interview, great information. It was awesome to have her back on the show. And hopefully we'll have her back on in the future. Um, before the interview starts, just a, just a few notes here. Obviously, I, have, I haven't been around for the last couple of episodes. I'm still around. I haven't gone anywhere. Um, it's just Rick has come in with a lot of energy and a, and a lot of passion and, and and it's great having another person creating some content. So the interview, you know, the episodes will either be me, they'll be both of us, or they'll be him and moving forward and, and it's it's better for the show and it's better for our, and everyone, I think. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Uh, here is my conversation with Dr. Gretchen Holling. The, re, uh, the record button's going, so um, I was looking at my notes, and it's been, I think, almost two years since I had you on. Does that sound all right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, so I'm going to start the episode now. I just, uh, sorry, uh, it's been kind of a hectic morning, so I just need to sort of get in podcast mode. No worries. Um, so today on YGMS, we have Dr. Gretchen Holly, and Dr. Gretchen was on the show about two years ago and at that time uh, we were talking about neuroplasticity and uh, some of your exercise programs and stuff but Gretchen thanks for doing this again and why don't we start off with why don't you give the listeners who maybe didn't listen to the last episode maybe just a quick overview of your background where you're located that kind of thing yeah so I have actually moved several times in the last two years so things uh-huh. have changed so for those of you who don't know me, I'm Dr. Gretchen Hawley. I am a physical therapist and also a multiple sclerosis specialist. And very early on in working with people who have MS, I learned that there are so many tips and strategies and tricks and just education that if you're aware of them, you can start implementing them right away and notice improvements in things like fatigue and strength and mobility. So. That's why I'm really passionate about sharing my expertise and knowledge on podcasts as well as in support groups and things of that sort. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me again. And yeah, one thing that we talked about last time was neuroplasticity. And I think that's such an important topic because it that is alone the reason that people with MS actually can get stronger and can get better balance and better mobility because your brain can rewire itself. So it's definitely an important thing to understand to its core. 
And I think it's something you and I talked about the last time um, when we were kind of touching on my story and running and all that kind of stuff. And that's something that I've heard from my neurologist too, that he figures that all the running I'm doing is helping, uh, you know, sort of with my, with my path with the disease is that um, it's doing essentially what you just said is, is it's rewiring me so that I can at least be functional. Does that kind of sound about what you're, you're thinking? Yeah, and it's cool because neuroplasticity is not only the ability to rewire itself. So if, let's say you couldn't run, your brain has the ability to find new pathways to improve your strength, but it also can strengthen the pathways that are already there. So in your case, you can run, and every time you run, you're strengthening those pathways that already exist. So it goes both ways. Now... When your, your assistant contacted me to, to get this set up, she she'd mentioned that you had some, you know, I'll, you know, last time we talked about neuroplasticity, but I think she mentioned you had some new stuff you wanted to talk about. So, you want to introduce that? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that have come out in the last two years. Again, these are just like simple strategies that you can start to implement to notice improvement. So one that I find very exciting is that if you do cardio exercise first before MS specific exercises that actually primes your brain for neuroplasticity. So not only is it cool that our brain can rewire itself and strengthen the pathways that are already there, but if you do cardio first, it actually primes your brain so it's more likely to find and strengthen those neural pathways. And one thing I always like to point out is that cardio is different for everyone. I don't know about you, but the first thing I think of when I hear the word cardio is running or treadmill, Mm -hmm. stairmaster, jumping jacks, you know, these intense things. And for for people who can do that, great, that, that counts as cardio. But for those who aren't runners and aren't as mobile, cardio, it, it simply means getting your heart rate up. So for some people, if you hold on to maybe one pound weights, one in each hand, or two cans of soup, one in each hand, and just for five minutes, just punch your arms forward and then reach up overhead and twist and punch and just use your arms, that also is cardio. You will feel your heart rate increasing. So cardio doesn't have to mean running or doing these intense movements. It just means getting your heart rate up. The thing we don't know about this same research that says cardio first is good is the duration. So we don't know yet that it should be cardio at X intensity level for X number of minutes. That hasn't been released yet. We just know cardio is important. Can I ask, I'm just curious about that, that point. What would be the active mechanism that would, like what is it, the cardio is setting the table for for the neuroplasticity like is there something specific there is there a specific mechanism that i'm not sure if it is more of the release of various protein like when we exercise the protein bdnf it's uh, the brain derived neurotrophic factor that is a protein that is released in us when we exercise and specifically cardio And whether you have MS or not, that protein is released. And that protein actually helps the survival of the pathways that currently exist, as well as encourages growth of new pathways. So it sounds, the way that I interpret this research is that when you do cardio, 
That's exercise that releases this specific protein, and then it encourages the survival and new growth. Mm. However, I'm sure there's multiple factors in this. It could also be that it's priming your muscles. Like it's, it's physically warming your body up to get ready to move, so you're more likely to move better. Mm -hmm. And if you're moving better, you get, you're more likely to find those correct pathways versus poor mm. pathways. Well, that's, that's fascinating. Um, so what are some of the other points that you, you mentioned there was three? Yeah, so another one is high intensity interval training is now thought to be an effective type of exercise for people with MS. And this too, a lot of times when people see the words or hear high intensity interval training, their first thought is, yeah, right, like that's gonna be way too hard for me, I can't do that, but again, it's something that you can easily tweak depending on what your abilities are. High intensity interval training just means getting your heart rate up and working hard and then working less hard and it's lower intensity. So it's high intensity and then low intensity and then high and then low. So for someone like you, mm -hmm. maybe it is sprinting, like running fast, running as fast as you can, whatever that looks like. And then it doesn't walking. look good. <laughs> <laughs> and then running again and then walking. That, that's high intensity interval training. Or for other people, maybe it's practicing sit to stands for a minute and then sit and rest for mm -hmm. a minute and then stand up. So you do something that's higher intensity. It could be what you know one of those mini bicycles like the pedal bikes that you can use your arms or your mm -hmm. feet for you can do that put some resistance with that and then slow down and take off the resistance so it could be something combined with weight training or resistance bands or no equipment at all but you physically should feel like it's high intensity for you whatever that means followed by lower intensity and then repeat high intensity and then lower intensity. And that's something that I wanted to share because for two reasons. One, they're now showing that that is an important uh, strategy. And for some people, they prefer that type of exercise and they didn't think they'd be able to do it, but they can. And it's showing to be effective in multiple sclerosis. And then the second reason I wanted to share that is because you can make it work for you, truly. Like even if you are in bed one day or, or multiple days just because of fatigue or your symptoms are just keeping you in bed, you can do high intensity interval training in bed. It doesn't need to be outdoors or walking or standing. It can be in any position. You've just got to get creative with the various ways that you can increase your heart rate or decrease them. So as long as you're alternating between an intense state and a still somewhat intense state but not as an intense state is that as long yep. regardless of where what position you're in is that kind of accurate yes and and similarly this research has come out saying high intensity interval training is good weight training is good but again i personally haven't seen any specific parameters of your high intensity interval training should be you know one minute of high intensity followed by 30 seconds of low intensity or you know so i haven't seen any numbers like that so there aren't specific guidelines yet mm -hmm. which partially is great you can make it work for you if you want your lower intensity to be much longer than your higher intensity great or vice versa great there's nothing right now showing that it has to be a specific protocol as long as you feel like yep this is high intensity for me 
And then, yep, this feels like lower intensity. Okay, and what's the third one? So the third one, and this blew my mind, but the third one is that so neuroplasticity, as you and the viewers before who have listened to our first one, mm -hmm. obviously we know that it can help improve muscle strength. However, there is tons and tons of research recently where showing that neuroplasticity also works to change our mindset, to change our habits, to change the way that we essentially feel about certain things. And it's, it's the same concept. It's rewiring your brain to be more positive or to stop that habit of pressing snooze or, you know, whatever it is mentally, you can use neuroplasticity in the same way. So physically, when it comes to, let's say, strengthening your ankle dorsiflexors for anyone who has foot drop, the way to get neuroplasticity to work is to do that exercise where you slowly lift your toes up, mm -hmm. pause, slowly lower and keep going. As soon as it's bad quality or you hit fatigue, you would stop and then rest and then do it again and keep going. And you're practicing just the good quality things. Over time, your brain will find a pathway that works and it will make it stronger. The same thing works for our brain, but it requires more conscious effort of the way that we're thinking. And so in this sense, if you are someone who, the easiest example of is if you're someone who tends to be more pessimistic about X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be, when you catch yourself thinking that thought, or if you're someone who often feels anxious or overwhelmed or just like burdened, which I mean, this past year has thrown us a huge curveball. So I'm sure a lot of us are feeling that to some degree. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling that way, recognizing it, stopping it, and then change it. And so it's the same concept of first you have to know, okay, this isn't good quality anymore, or in the sense of mental um, thoughts, you know, this isn't serving me anymore. So stop, stop myself from thinking that way and replace it with something that's more positive. So it's not this, it's not the same thing as toxic positivity. I want to make that very clear. Mm -hmm. You're not ignoring the things that are happening around you or things that you're going through, but you're choosing to see it in a different light. Mm. And over time, your brain will actually switch to have more of these thoughts that serve you better versus being a bad habit or serving you in a negative way. And so it just requires that over and over again, changing your thoughts. And there are different strategies that you can use as well. But when I first heard that, that just blew my mind because so much of staying consistent with your exercise routine comes from a mental state of being persistent, resilient, you know, enjoying it to some degree. Otherwise, if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to stick with it long term. So if mentally you can get on board, you're much more likely to see results purely because you're going to do it long term and you'll see results long term versus if this is just a phase. I think on, on that on that point, I have a little bit of perspective. I had to trick myself yes. to train for an ultra marathon, and the only way I could stick with it is I made it public. Yes, I do the same thing. Because the second I told people I was going to do it, they give you that look like there's no way you're going to do it. They don't say it, but you can feel it off of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
But once I made it public and I could get that feeling off people, they didn't think there was any way I was going to ever do it. Now I've, now I've run, I don't know, six or seven of them. But um, at the time, where I got my motivation from was I put it out there and I thought, man, I can't not do it now. Mm-hmm. And that was a trick to get myself to do it. Does that make sense? Yes, I, I do the same thing in so many areas of my life. If I ever, specifically with exercise, I use that as a form of accountability. Keeping in mind that, and I use it, I do this on social media, I don't even know who's watching me. I don't know who's paying attention and who cares or who doesn't care. But the fact that I'm including other people now in my goals makes me feel like I need to stick to it because it's no longer just me. I'm telling people I'm going to do it. Now I actually need to do it. Mm-hmm. And I use that with if I have a goal exercise related or if even if I'm just trying to eat healthier. Currently, I'm trying to drink more water. I am not the best at staying hydrated. And so I'm challenging myself to have, I have this water bottle and I'm trying to drink three a day. And so I post on Instagram and on Facebook when I have each of those three. And another strategy too, I don't know if you've ever done this, but one strategy I use when using neuroplasticity to change my mindset is fake it till you make it. You aren't going to feel overwhelmed and then snap your fingers and okay, now I don't feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I implement the fake it till you make it. Tell myself I'm doing all the right things I need to do for my body today. Even if I don't actually believe it, just telling myself that does make it feel like Okay, that's good. I can calm down a little bit. So for me, just you know, do the things, fake it till you make it. Eventually, your brain will be on board and it will catch up, and you actually will feel the effects of that. You just totally explained something to me that I've been wondering about um, for a long time. Over the last, since I started all this running stuff back in 2014, and now we're 2021. It's gotten, and especially during the pandemic, the pandemic has really pushed it over the edge because at home, we haven't been going out anywhere to eat or, you know, our diet has been ridiculously clean. Um, and what I've found now is I don't even get cravings for bad food. Yeah. And the thought of eating something bad actually kind of turns my stomach a bit. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting what you're saying and it, it, you're, you're backing up what I'm experiencing with actual research you know uh it's kind of neat yeah and it's the same thing i explain it often in the sense of pavlov's famous dog bell saliva experiment where you know eventually you ring the bell and the dog starts salivating because they know the food is coming like it, it your brain associates two things at once it's the same thing for almost everything in our life in the sense of exercise if every time you exercise you feel discouraged and like kind of fed up or it wasn't as good as you wanted, your brain, if you think of exercise, you you don't even have to exercise. If you just think, I should exercise today, you will immediately feel discouraged, burdened down because you're training your brain that exercise means this is how I feel. Similar with nutrition. If you, over time, whether you realize this is happening or not, you eat healthy, you eat healthy, you eat healthy, you're actually starting to feel better that just the thought of eating unhealthy makes you feel the opposite. You're, you're training your brain, eating healthy, feel good. Eating unhealthy, feel awful. And so that's the power of what our mindset is doing behind almost everything that we do. Because we don't see it happening, but we our brain has these correlations with almost everything. 
This is fascinating. I have to ask the question, and I'm sure I asked you last time. I meant to listen to our last podcast. I just, unfortunately, I have a, I have a day job, so I don't just podcast, and I didn't have time. But anyway, how did you get in? How did you get to the place that you're talking to me right now? And what I mean by that, like, did you go into med school thinking this is what you were going to do coming out? Was this some, or is it just did it happen organically over time, or like, how did you get to dealing with? people with MS and the physical therapy and, and that. I'm just really fascinated by how that came to be. Yeah. You know, it was pr- what I would call a pretty random journey. You know, I went to undergraduate college, didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I liked science more than the other subjects. So I was a biology major and in my final year, they had alumni from the program come back and tell us what they were doing with their degree. Mm-hmm. And one person said that she was a physical therapist. And for some reason, as soon as she said that, I don't even remember who this person is anymore, but as soon as she said that, I was like, that's what I want to do. I didn't even know that that's what I could do with a biology degree, but that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I immediately apply to for PT school. I get in. So I go to PT school and we had a professor Mm -hmm. who was actually talking to us about uh, patients who have cancer. And she was saying, you know, these types of patients who are struggling need a cheerleader. And I don't know if you can tell, but I'm, you know, generally an optimist Mm -hmm. and I have, you know, go-getter personality. I I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. I want to work with this population because I not only want to help, but I want to be their cheerleader. I want to give them hope and inspiration. So for a while, I thought I wanted to work with patients who had cancer. But then as schooling went on, that was in my first year in graduate schooling. It's a doctorate degree. It's an additional three years after college. And I started realizing that the classes that were most interesting to me were the neurological classes. They were the hardest by far pulled my brain just trying to study for those classes, but it was the most interesting. So then I get out of PT school and I have a typical outpatient orthopedic job treating people with back pain, neck pain, knee surgery, things like that. But my company had a sister company in a different state that had an MS program and it was doing really well. So my boss wanted to open one up in Boston where I was working. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I didn't know much at all about MS, but I raised my hand and I was like, yep, yeah, I'll do it. Sounds awesome. And almost immediately, I think I had only seen two clients and I realized how every patient is different. And not only that, but each person on any given day can have different symptoms. And I loved brainstorming and working in a different way with each person. So that's when I decided to become an MS specialist and actually become specialized in multiple sclerosis. So that's kind of how I got there. And then now I've been working with people with MS almost exclusively for just over five years. So it's just become this passion of mine of learning as much as I can and then sharing that, especially the strategies that you can implement right away to make a change. Now, I have to imagine after five years dealing with, um, or, or I shouldn't say dealing with, that sounds negative, but helping people with, with MS, I'm, 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 I'm suspecting that you've probably seen some pretty amazing transformative changes. Is, is, is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. How does that feel? It feels amazing. Like, if, you know, I actually had a conversation once with a former coworker, and she was treating people 
typical orthopedic back pain, neck pain. And, and when you're working with that population, every goal, the goal for every patient is improvement, less back pain, um, walking better, like that's the expectation. But when you're working with multiple sclerosis, sometimes, oftentimes the goal is at least maintenance. And that can be hard for a lot of PTs who are driven by reward and feeling like, and having these numbers, your numbers are better, your scores are better, your walking is better, because sometimes that doesn't happen. And that's okay, that's actually the goal is maintenance. But there are so many small wins that I have found when working with clients who have MS. Something as simple as increasing their foot drop slightly so that they don't trip as often. Like they, they still trip, but they don't, tri they don't trip as often and therefore they're not falling and injuring themselves. I've, I've had patients who came to me before seeing me, they had fallen five times in a year. And just in starting to work with me and lear learning the strategies of how to walk better, how to activate your muscles in the right way, they didn't fall at all for the following year. So things like that. But then there's ones that tug on your heartstrings. I've had two patients who had beach weddings this was prior to covid and one was it was her daughter and then the other one it was their son and they wanted to be able to walk down the aisle without an assistive device and for one of them the thought was insane like she can't walk on uneven ground at all before we started working together and now she wants to walk on sand and she was able to do it. She held on to someone's arm, but she was able to do it really well. And it was, she said she was like, had tears down her face as she was walking down the aisle because she was so proud of herself. There's That's other clients. Yeah, like, so, so it's like stories like that where I'm like thinking how many people's lives are improving in terms of independence and participation in life when they didn't think it was possible. So it's very rewarding. Well, and you mentioned foot drop, and, and I can actually speak to how, you know, training, whatever form of training works for someone, and I, I always have to stress this on this podcast, I'm not suggesting to anyone, any of the MS warriors out there, like, go run an ultra marathon, right? I'm not saying that. But uh, about three years ago, uh, I'd gone for a training run, and when I left, in Edmonton, where, where I live, there's a giant river valley i don't even know how long it is i mean i ran along it yet but it's quite long i would think it's 50 or 60 kilometers long i've been running in there all day and then when i left i was running through the neighborhood immediately adjacent to it and i was running down the sidewalk and you know the, the little separations in a sidewalk right mm -hmm. they don't normally pose a challenge for people but when you suffer from foot drop they can't and when and i just you know i've been running all day over roofs over you know stumps no problem down the sidewalk I go, I'm still running, and my I had foot drop, my toe caught the crack, and I still have scars on my my one wrist and on my shin from the fall. But fast forward now, I, I can't remember the last time I experienced foot, foot drop. Like, it's been for sure two years at least. So, I mean, you can, I mean, just speaking to what you've been saying, like, you can improve, Right. Yeah, and I think one thing that's hard is that we know neuroplasticity works. We know that you can get stronger and that your brain can find these new pathways, but what we don't know is how long that takes. So I do have some clients who, when we were working in person, you know, sticking with the foot drop example, one exercise I give almost everyone is lifting your toes up for foot drop. 
So I had many clients who I'd have them do that on the first day and it was so hard for them. They could hardly do it. And then they come in one week later and they can do it no problem. And in that case, that tells me that your brain, your body had the neural pathway there. There was a connection from your brain all the way down to your ankle that worked. You just weren't using it because it got weaker. So you were utilizing other muscles to compensate. And all you had to do was activate it. Just remind yourself how it should be moving and you're good. But then there are other clients who I give them the same exercise and it's a year before they notice significant improvement in the foot drop. So we don't, there's no guidelines as to how long it takes and how, how many repetitions you need to do in order for your brain and muscles to have that pathway connect. So that can be the discouraging part, but we do know that it does work. So many research articles demonstrate that. Yeah, this is fascinating. I, I so much, I'm so thankful you agreed to come on again. Um, uh, I'm sure that the people listening are, are getting a lot from this. Um, in your view, from, from where you sit, what would be either the top recommendation or some of the top recommendations you would make to somebody who's been recently diagnosed? As a physical therapist, I'm talking from that perspective. Okay, so as a physical therapist, obviously I'm a bias towards physical therapy. Of course. But my number one thing that I would say, is, no matter how you feel, if you're diagnosed and you're feeling a little confused, like, really, MS, are you sure? I don't know, I feel oh, my walking's not affected. No matter, or if you're that person, or if you feel like I can hardly walk, something just drastic happened and now I'm now I have MS, wherever you fall, always get a multiple sclerosis specific physical therapy evaluation. I can't tell you how many people I have seen that they kind of walk in annoyed, like they don't want to be with me, they don't want an evaluation, but their neurologist told them to come. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, they'll learn something and, and it might be a weakness. They'll learn like, wow, I, you know, I am walking fine, but when you make me do this specific movement, that's actually really hard. And so it can actually point out things that might be starting to weaken and you can start working on it right away so that it doesn't get weaker. So that's one thing. But also, even if there isn't any weakness detected or poor balance detected or anything detected, you at least have your baseline measurements. So that if down the road you do feel like the MS pr is progressing in some way, you will have actual numbers to compare it to versus just kind of thinking, am I worsening? Is this a relapse? Mm. Is this not? So it just gives you some validity to what you're feeling. It gives you kind of a baseline so, to compare it to. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. Now your, your exercise program, I know that's a, some of them are available on your web, your website, correct? Yeah, so I have an online program, and this actually started, and I don't know if anyone listening has had this issue come up, but this started because I've, again, working with people with MS for the last five years, and at the last physical therapy clinic I worked at, I had the highest no-show and cancellation rate. And when looking at the people who were canceling and no-showing from their PUT appointments, nine times out of ten, it was my clients with MS. And I tried explaining to my boss, like, but this is normal for this population. Like, it, it's valid 
they're, they shouldn't be walking outside today. It's bad weather. They'll probably fall or fatigue. You know, there's a million different reasons why it's very valid that they couldn't come to their appointment. But, you know, from a business standpoint, they didn't understand that. And I kept thinking, how can I still help them on the days that they're home? How can I still help them? Because they're not getting better when they have to keep canceling and keep no showing. So that's when I developed my online program. And very quickly, as soon as I launched it, I had people signing up from different states and different countries. And I was like, wow, I it was thinking in such a small-minded way at first. Like, how can I help the people in my state? And now it's just blown up to, you know, because it's online, you can live anywhere and get MS-specific exercises and symptom management strategies. So, um, it's grown a lot from there, but that's kind of where it started. And for, for listeners who want to know, the website is drgretchenholly.com. Doctor is, is spelt out, so it's D-O-C-T-O-R, Gretchen, G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N, and then Holly, H-A-W-L-E-Y.com. Um, I recommend going to check that out. Um uh, so what kind of, I mean, have you been getting, you've been obviously been getting pretty decent traffic on the website. Mm-hmm. And it's cool because, so I call it an online MS wellness program because obviously a big part portion of it is the exercises and it's me sharing my expertise, but every single month I add new videos and sometimes that uh, there's at least three or four new videos. We have yoga that's added in there. We have activity-specific movements like stair climbing, getting into and out of a car, getting in and out of bed. These normal day-to-day movements that a lot of people take for granted, there's actual strategies behind how to do them better. And then we also have guest speakers where I bring in other experts in fields that I am not an expert in. So we have tons of different MS neurologists, uh, people who talk about different nutrition programs or plans meditation, like just so many different experts, because I want my members to feel like it's more of a holistic approach. It's not just exercise. Oftentimes exercise is great, but it inc- it needs to include this other aspect of your mindset needs to be in the right place. Your MS, um, you know, your nutrition needs to be in the right place. Your neurologist needs to be on board you need to learn from all these different realms not just exercise and with those guest speakers they're live and kind of you know like zoom videos Mm -hmm. so they can ask questions so it feels amazing being able to give my members access to all of these things because it's often things you'd have to make an appointment for or that you'd have to go to a class and get so it's just from the comfort of your own home Mm. Now you mentioned just mentioned meditation, and that's actually something I was thinking about the other day. Especially now, during with the pandemic, I mean, you're you're staring at screens more than ever, and I find that my mind has just gotten really scrambly. Can you speak to? I, I know it's not your area of expertise, but just what you you know observing through your website and your speakers and that. Can you maybe speak to the the impact that meditation may have on somebody? Oh my gosh, everything! And there's so many different types of meditation too, but. Just having the ability to slow your mind down so that you can actually hear what your body needs. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know about you guys, but all of us succumb to this go, go, go. Even if we're just sitting, even if we're not physically on the go, 
I'm constantly on my phone, my laptop, there's information overload coming, like physically coming into my eyeballs and into my brain. When that is happening, my body's not thinking about, am I hungry? Am I sore from my exercise? How do I feel emotionally right now? Am I overwhelmed? It's not thinking about any of that. It's just thinking of, oh, this is what happened at the Capitol today, and this is what's going on mm -hmm. in my town, and you know, all these things. So meditation, no matter what that means for you, maybe it's guided meditation, maybe it's not guided, maybe you're repeating a mantra, whatever you choose, meditation gives your brain time to stop. And when that happens, your body tells you, you'll feel certain ways. You might start to feel emotional for whatever reason, or you might feel like, oh, my, my leg really hurts, or you might feel some physical things, and it's just your body telling you what's going on, like you're checking in with yourself. And so I use meditation, admittedly not as much as I should, but I use it anytime I feel like I need to slow down. And realistically, it should be something we do daily, but again, it's something I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And it, it allows you to feel still present and not get lost in so much of what every day throws at us. Now, I'm one, we're, we're coming up on, we've got probably got about 10, 10, 15 minutes left, and there's a few other questions I want to squeeze in before uh, I run out of time. Um, when somebody's starting on an exercise program, whether it's in a chair, in bed, whatever, it doesn't, I'm just, if they're starting an exercise program, is there certain dietary recommendations you would make to, to, to support that? So that's a great question. And I'm asked that question a lot. I am a firm believer that everyone's body responds to different diets and plans differently. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's one best nutrition program for people with MS or any, I don't have any guidelines like that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of resources out there. My advice is always try one that you seems that you feel is doable for you. See how it goes. And whether it's actually working or it's the placebo effect, Hey, if you're feeling better, great. And if you, don't, if you feel it's not helping and you've given it a fair time, if you've given it, let's say, three months or so, um, and it's not helping, make a different one. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've given tons and tons of support group talks and presentations, and nutrition always comes up, and it's a very heated discussion because some people swear by the swank diet. Some people swear by keto mm -hmm. or the, the walls, you know, so there's – and because it works so well for them that they're like, this is what you have to do, but it doesn't work for everyone. So I'm just an advocate of pick one that you think you can stick to, see how it goes. If it doesn't work, try a different one. And then as always, if you have specific guidelines that you need to follow, talk to a nutritionist. Yeah, I found that, you know, if, if people were to go back far enough on this podcast or even my blog, initially back just after 2007 when I got diagnosed, um, I had found a, an MS diet program very similar to the Walls Protocol, but it wasn't the Walls Protocol, but it was just this this guy was talking about Eat Paleo, and he you know mentioned um, the papers it was based on and all that stuff. So there was, a, there was a point where I was pretty, I would call myself evangelical about Paleo. What I since have discovered, though, is I totally agree with you, is that 
because it works for me does not mean it would work for you. It's just my gut biome could be different. My genetics are different. Like there's so many different factors, right? Um, But I just think that, so my, my thing is just try and eat clean and don't eat a lot of processed garbage and then see, and then do an elimination diet to see if maybe you're sensitive to dairy or sensitive to gluten or sensitive to whatever. Right. Um, Cause I think that with diet, just like every, every, all things in life these days, it, it, it's become weaponized and and politicized and um, it's hard to have a really good conversation about it because we just don't talk in those terms anymore. Um, One tip that someone gave me a while ago was to generally eat better, not that you're following a specific plan, but just generally to eat healthier, try to get most of your groceries on the outside of the store, the perimeter of the store. That's where you'll find, you know, your veggies, the produce, like all all that, that good stuff, the non-processed foods. Mm -hmm. My, 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 my rule of thumb when people ask me, I say, if, if it doesn't go bad, don't eat it. (laughs) That's good. That's so true. Food should rot, right? Like real food rots. So if it doesn't go bad, don't eat it. If you can put it in a cardboard box and leave it in your cupboard for two years and still eat it, it's not food. In my view, yeah. Okay, so closing up, just uh, before before I let you go, and, and once again, Gretchen, thank you. So, sorry, I should call you Doctor Gretchen. Um, thank you so much for for taking the time. Um, is there anything you would like to talk about? Anything you wanna that we didn't touch on that you wanna address? The thing that always comes to me for like right away when I'm asked that is what, what's one thing I would want to share is. When it comes to movement and goals, my best piece of advice is to do the thing that's hard as your exercise. So people always ask me, well, what's the one best exercise? If there's one thing I should be doing, what would it be? And my answer is always, well, first of all, it's different for everyone, but B, what's what it's hard for you to do. And some people say walking, some people say stair climbing, some people say standing up off of a chair, out of a, off of a low surface. There's so many different things it could be. And my advice is do that as your exercise. If standing up is hard, practice standing up as the exercise. If walking is hard, I have my, one of my favorite exercises of all time. I call exaggerated walking. It's just walking, but really exaggerate every movement. There are seven different movements that need to happen in order for you to walk well. So break down those seven movements and walk as your exercise or climb stairs as your exercise. Yes, it's going to be hard, but it's functional. And when you have multiple sclerosis, you, your exercises, if you're working towards a specific goal, have to be functional. They have to be related to the same position and movement that your goal is in. It's very different from regular physical therapy where if you can't walk because of hip weakness, maybe you're doing clamshells, uh, side-lying leg raise, squats. Those are great exercises, but most of those you're lying down. And when you have MS, Getting strength in a lying down position does not mean that you'll also have that strength in a standing position. So just making sure your exercises are in the same position and it's the same movements as what your goal is. 
Now, one thing I didn't ask you, and you mentioned it from the you mentioned, last time I talked to you, you were in Boston. Are you still in? You mentioned you've moved a couple times in the last two years. Where 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 are you today? Yeah, so today I am near Buffalo, New York. So I moved back to my hometown about a year ago, mm-hmm. and so that's where I am now. Oh, so you're not far from Toronto. Is it cold there today? Yes, it's very cold. <laughs> well, what's what's very cold for you? And I'll tell you what very cold for me is. That's true. I have some of some of my clients are in like negative digits daily. Today, I think it's nine degrees. Is that and that's Fahrenheit? Fahrenheit, yep. Now, how close is that to the free? I don't know Fahrenheit. So, how how close is that to the freezing point? Oh boy, um, I'm not sure. I'm okay, well, in Celsius, the freezing point zero. That's why. <laughs> That's why I think I like Celsius better because it's just easier to remember. Why that is better? Um, we I, I took the kids skiing two days ago to one of the local hills here, and it was minus twenty seven with the wind chill, so that's twenty seven degrees below freezing. Okay. And the week previous to that, we had temperatures that were with the wind chill that hit minus forty. Oh wow! Yeah, that's definitely colder. <laughs> <laughs> so. I always find it interesting when I talk to somebody from the U.S. Think, oh, it was cold here today. What does cold for you mean? Do you have to you have to put on a like a light coat? Is that cold? Right. You know, cold for me right now is I have to wear high boots because there's lots of snow, and I usually wear a sweater and a bulky jacket. My wife, her cousin, she married a guy from Jamaica, and he finally got his residence or whatever they call it so he was able to move here and we we met up with them last winter that poor man (laughs) it was only about minus 10 out but you would have thought he was at the north pole (laughs) how how wrapped up he was in different clothing and stuff it was uh it was pretty (laughs) i just i'm looking across the table i'm thinking man if you didn't grow up in this there's no way you'd get used to it i don't think you could get used to it as an adult because i I grew up in the province yeah, to the west of here, and it was it's warmer than where I, I am currently. You still get cold there, but not like this kind of cold. I've been here for 20 years. I'm still not used to it, and I'm still bitter about it. So. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, before uh, before I let you go, can you let people know where to find you, where your social media is at, when anything else like that? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook as Dr. Gretchen slash MS Specialist. I'm on Instagram as Dr. Gretchen, and Dr. again is spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R. I have a YouTube page where I try to post at least weekly tons of great resources there. It, that is Dr. Gretchen Holly, And then the name of my online program is The Missing Link, spelled M-S-I-N-G link. Awesome. Well, Dr. Gretchen, I thank you for coming on again. I hope to have you on in the future. And if at any time you wanna you wanna be on the show, you just 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 do it like you did this time. Just send me a note, and we'll and we'll get it scheduled. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. Well, stay warm, and hopefully we'll talk to you again in, in the not too distant future. Sounds good. So that was my interview with Dr. Gretchen Hawley. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I, you know, I could probably spend another hour talking to her, and we still wouldn't get to everything that she could probably teach us. So, uh, really thrilled that she was able to come on. And I encourage all of you to visit her website at drgretchenhawley.com. Remember, "doctor" is the word, not the abbreviation. Other than that, um, I know we have some more interviews coming up. Uh, I know Rick's got some things he's working on. 
So stay tuned, and uh, we'll have more YEGMS for you in the coming weeks. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Oh, one more thing I forgot to mention. If you'd like to be a guest on YEGMS or you have any comments on anything you listen to today or on any other episodes, you can always send an email to Sean, S-E-A-N, at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. That's O-W-N, multiplesclerosis.com. And if you're curious about social media, I actually am no longer on social media. Uh, so the best way to get a hold of me is by sending an email to Sean at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. If you'd like to comment on this episode or any of our other episodes, you can always go to ownmultiplesclerosis.com and just find the blog post that's associated with the episode you're listening to. So hopefully we'll hear from you and hopefully uh, a lot of people want to you know, talk to us and engage with us. And yeah, we really would hope to hear from you soon. Anyways, until next time, take it easy, and we'll talk to you soon.